0: Good morning. It's good to see you today. So thankful you're here with us as we come together to worship our Heavenly Father. We appreciate so much that you've chosen to be with us. And if you're looking today for a church home, we want you to know that we're looking for you. We'd love to sit down and speak with you about the Word of God, about our uh, service to God. And so uh, we, we would love to, to talk to you. Many of you may recognize the name Rick Warren. Rick Warren is a man who has written several uh, books, and they are very popular books, but I I do not agree with him theologically on on the things that he says, and and I don't endorse his books that he has, and, and even the book that I'm going to quote from this morning, I don't endorse everything that's said in it, but there are some uh, some observations that he makes that are relevant to our uh, question or our topic today. And when you turn to his book, The Purpose Driven Life, as you begin to read in what's known as, I think it's chapter number five, he says, he's, The way you, you see life shapes your life. How do you define, or <clears throat> rather, how you define life determines your destiny? Your perspective will determine how you invest your time, spend your money, use your talents, and value your relationships. And so the idea is that the way we look at life is going to uh, determine how we live our life. And not only that, he talks about in uh, another section that's just a little ways on down, He talks about um, one of the best ways to understand other people is to ask them, how do you see your life? And you'll discover that there are as many different answers to that question as there are people. And so people look at their life in a different way. Well, our writer this morning asked a very good question in the book of James, chapter 4, verse 14. The Bible says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? He says, for you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Indeed, the question that we're talking about, what is your life, seems to be answered here in this particular section. Uh, A simple casual reading of what James uh, says here seems to indicate what we might say is that life is short. He talks about how that it's a mist or a vapor that appears for a little time, and then it's gone. And certainly there are other writers. Job observed how fast life is. In the book of Job chapter number 7 at verses 6 and 7, Job says, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and come to their end without hope. Remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never see good. Talking about the brevity of... In Job chapter 9, verses 25 and 26, he says, My days are swifter than a runner. They flee away. They see no good. They go by like skiffs of reed, like an eagle swooping on its prey. And again, he's talking about the brevity of life and how, how fast it passes by. In Job chapter 14, at verse number 1, the Bible says, Man who is born of woman is a few days and full of troubles. And so we can multiply the, the quotations from the Word of God that speak of the brevity of life, that tell us that life is short, but I'm not sure that's all that James is saying in James chapter number 4. I'm not sure that that is his main point, that we are to draw from the verse. Yes, we are to draw the fact that life is short. We understand that. But there's more to it, I'm convinced, than what... Uh, What he says. Notice he says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Let's focus on that word what. The word what is used in the English Standard Version of the New Testament 678 times. Now, that's interesting because the word that we're looking at here is found only 32 times in the New Testament. It's defined simply as of what sort or what nature by Thayer and by Nida. He says it's a reference to one among several objects, events, or states. And so the word means which one or which sort of. Now let me give you a couple of passages where the word is used and we'll understand perhaps the definition just a little bit better. Look, if you will, if you have your Bible, to the, uh, to the book of Mark, chapter 12, at verse number 28. In Mark, chapter 12, at verse 28, the Bible says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that, he answered them well, ask him, Which commandment is most important? Which commandment is the most important of all? Which commandment? That's the same word that we have here in James chapter 4. Out of all of the commandments of God, out of what he said in the Old Testament, and that's of course what the scribe is asking about, out of those ten commandments that God had chiseled in stone with his own finger, he said, which one of these, which one goes above the other nine? Or if you count the entirety of the Old Testament, uh, rabbis say that there are 613 Old Testament commandments, and so which one? Are there 612 that are, uh, that, that are inferior to one that is superior above all? So, which one? Okay, Here's another one in the book of Matthew chapter 24, at verse number 42. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know what day your Lord is coming. There are 365 days a year, and, and the years have multiplied into decades and decades into centuries and centuries into millennium, and, and yet the Lord has not come. On what day? If you add all of those up, 2,000 years times 365, somebody figure that out in your head. And, and, and which one of those is the Lord coming on? Well. That's the idea behind it. Which one? There's a contrast or um, uh, 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 a comparison that's being made in these two. Here's another one, John chapter 10 at verse number 32. The Bible says, Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Is it because I raised the dead? Is it because I walked on the water? Is it because I healed the sick? Is it because I caused the blind to be able to see and the deaf to hear? Which one of them are you going to, are you going to stone me for? And, and so again, that, that comparison, which or, or, or what, you know, looking at the many and, and, and trying to decide one or the other or for which one you're going to do. Okay? Now that brings us back to the book of John. He says, what is your life? Yes, it's short, we got that part of it, but what is your life? Contextually, it seems that James has more in mind than simply telling us that life is short. Let's observe that James begins the paragraph by mentioning some business people. And these business people are making plans to go and to to make more money in James chapter 4 verses 13 and 14. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what the morrow will bring. He talks about those business people. But you know what? He says something else about those business people other than. Then they're going somewhere to to make some deals. If you drop on down to verse number 16, the Bible says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. These folks, as they're looking at their life, they had plans for their life. Their future was all mapped out. They were going to make a profit, maybe even get rich. That's what their life was about. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with making a profit, is there? When you go back and read Matthew chapter 25 and you read the story of the parable of the talents, isn't Jesus teaching that those who had five and and the one who had uh, two talents, that, that they made a profit by gaining five more and gaining two more? And did he not condemn the man who went and hid his talent and did not produce a profit? You see, there's nothing wrong with making a profit. There's really nothing wrong with even being rich. Abraham, the Bible says in Genesis 13 at verse 2, was very rich. If you were in our Bible class downstairs this morning, we were talking about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus, it seems, were very rich people. The the alabaster box of oil or the flask of oil that she poured on Jesus uh, six days before he was crucified... Judah said we could sell that for more than 300 denarii. Uh, that would be like getting paid 300 days. Now, we'd calculated it out in class this morning the average mean income of a male in the state of Alabama, in other words, how much he makes a year, the average amount is $48,379. And if you divide that by 365 and and then you multiply that by 300, you don't have to follow along with that math. You can figure that out on your own. But that would be like getting paid 300. You know what? That comes out to just less than $40,000 that Mary would have paid for that flask of oil. And so they, it seems, were rich, and Jesus counted them as his friends and even raised Lazarus from the dead. And so there's nothing wrong with, with uh, making a profit. There's nothing wrong with being rich. The problem is, in First uh, Timothy chapter 6, at verse 17, he says, As for the rich of this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertain riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. What were these people that James is writing about here in James chapter 4? These, these business people, what was their problem? They had become arrogant in their boasting. They had become haughty, if you will, in saying, My life is mapped out. I'm going to make a profit. I'll stay here, then I'll move on, or I'm going to get rich. You know, however you see that. But, but they had become arrogant. In contrast to that, back up to verse 15, He said, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. You see, James agrees with Paul. Our trust is not to be in what uh, we can do or what riches will do for us. Our trust is to be in the Lord. And so, this morning, as we're answering the question, what is your life... Of which sort or which uh, one is your life? You see, James is giving us a contrast. James is saying, are you going to be like the rich folks who are arrogant and trust in themselves to go and make 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 money? Or are you going to trust in God? And so, as we think about it then, are you going to choose to trust in yourself or in the Lord? That's a simple thing. Which are you, which one is your life? Which of these are you like the rich people who are ignoring God? Or are you one who is trusting in God? You see, that's a deeper thought that James is presenting to us other than simply life is short. In context, that's what he is saying to us. The Lord, uh, you don't know, you don't even have power to know if there will be a tomorrow. But the Lord does. And, And folks, you know, we're totally dependent upon His care and His mercy to allow us even to have another day in this world. And so this morning, that's what James is saying to us in this passage. What is your life? But having said that this morning, there are three more observations that I want to make about life, and we'll talk about them briefly this morning, and then the lesson will be yours. As we do that this morning, I want us to understand simply that life is a gift. Life is a gift. In Genesis 2, verse number 7, we remember that passage where the Lord took the dust from the ground and He formed man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, at verse number 1, the writer there, Solomon, says, Remember now your Creator in the days of your youth. You see, God created man, He created Adam and Eve, but He also has created you and me. I like the little story that I read a while back about a little girl who climbed up into her granddaddy's lap. And she was sitting there talking to him that while she was doing that, she was feeling of his, his well-worn and wrinkled face. And, and she asked him the question, says, says, Papa, says, did God make you? And he says, well, sure, honey, God, God created me. And, and she said, well, did God create me? And he said, well, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, honey. He said, God created you, too. And the little girl looked back up at him, and she said, it looks like God's been doing a little bit better work here lately. (laughs) God is our Creator. God created you. God created me. Now, by means of physical birth, we understand all of the implications of that. But the life that we have, even the life that comes from the womb, is a gift. A gift from God. We need to remember that. That's what our life is. Our life is a gift. And you know what? Since God has given us life, it's only reasonable for us to uh, be responsible to Him for how we live our life. That's the thing about it. We need to be uh, responsible to God. Back in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we mentioned verse 15 a minute ago, but uh, if you go back to uh, verse 13, the Bible says, The end of the matter all has been heard. Fear God, keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man. Our Our life is to be lived in response to God." And we, are, we should be responsible to Him for what we do. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 at verse 16? In that passage, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and glorify God. Glorify God. Glorify God your Father. Who is in heaven. You see, as we look at that, as we think about that, we need to live our life so that we glorify God. Stories told about a missionary who was in a foreign country many years ago, and he was preaching, and there was a lamp, a, a, an oil lamp, that was sitting near the pulpit so that he could see his notes and see the Bible. And while he was preaching, and I'm not sure that he was preaching until midnight or anything like that, but while he was preaching, the lamp ran out of oil. And the, and the wick in the lamp, you know how they work, it, it began itself to smoke, and uh, he began to cough. And, and, you know, sort of got strangled on the smoke that, that was boiling up. And, and he was not one to miss a beat, and so here's what he said. He said, some of us here are like this wick. We're trying to shine for the glory of God, but we stink. That's what happens when we use ourselves as fuel. You see, our job, our responsibility, our duty, our passion should be to glorify our Father with the life that we have because our life is a gift from God. You know, in the book of Galatians chapter 1, Verses 22 uh, through 24, the Bible says, this is Paul as he is talking, he says, And I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. This is right after his conversion. And and, you know, it's hard for us to imagine that that folks didn't know Paul. But he says, I was still unknown to the the Christians who were there. And and, uh, notice he says in verse 23, They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And what was the reaction then? What was the reaction when they heard about this young preacher, a man by the name of Saul, who had been putting people in prison and had been giving testimony that they might be put to death? What was their reaction when they heard that he was now a preacher of the gospel? Verse 24. They glorified God because of me. That's what our life is to be like. We are to live it in such a way that other people around us, your friends, your co-workers, your family members, your neighbors, give glory to God Because of the way you live. Your life is a gift from God. And that means that we ourselves must live it in that way. Not only that, but as we think about it this morning, life is a series of choices. That's what life is. Life is a gift, but also life is a series of choices. You know, man is different from every other creature that God created on earth. And and, and the reason for that is God gave man the ability to make choices, to decide. He gave us that free will and He gave us the mental capacity to make choices. And you know what? When we think about choices, life is filled with them. We make choices every day of some kind, don't we? Napoleon, the... The, the famous uh, uh, emperor and and uh, uh, soldier he said uh, said this says in every battle there is a uh, uh, there's a crisis For ten or fifteen minutes only he says on which the outcome depends. To make proper use of this short space of time means victory, it's neglect, defeat. What would you say? That one or those few choices that we make in that little bitty short period of time can mean the victory is won or the battle is lost. You know what, that's the same thing with us, isn't it? A simple decision in life may well determine our destiny if we allow those things in our life and we allow ourselves to make wrong choices. Our most important choices in life concern right and wrong, truth and error, God and Satan. That's what our choices are, the most important ones are. We remember the choice that Joshua talks about in Joshua chapter 24 verse 15. Make a choice between the fathers on the other side of the Euphrates River or, or, or God himself But as for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. He was making a choice and that's what we ourselves are to do. Do you remember back in the Old Testament the story of Solomon? And how God was pleased with Solomon, and He, he told Solomon, He says, uh, 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 "Make a choice. You know, what can I give you? What What can I do for you?" And, and Solomon said in Second King, or First Kings rather, chapter three, verse number nine, "Give your servant therefore an understanding heart or an understanding mind to govern your people." that I may discern between good and evil, for who is able to govern this, your great people? Notice what he asked for. He said, give me an understanding mind. The word translated understanding is used 1,144 times in the Old Testament. It means to hear, one who hears, hearing, heard, to listen. Listen. 949 of those times. It, it is from a meaning, the base meaning of hearing, and it comes with the extension of understanding and obedience. Give me that, that understanding mind, that seat of thought, sometimes translated in other places, heart. Get, that's what I want. I want the ability to listen, to discern, to make the right choices. Now, to whom was Solomon to listen in order to make the right choices? Obviously, you say, that, was, that would be the Lord, would it not? You'd be correct. But we remember the story of Solomon, don't we? And the great problem that he had later in his life. <clears throat> in 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 4 through 11, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his Heart, his mind, after other gods. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord, his God. You go on down in verse 6, Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. You drop on down to verse number 9, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. And then in verse number 10, he did not keep what the Lord commanded and then finally in verse number 11 reading the entirety of the verse therefore the Lord said to Solomon since this has been your practice and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I have commanded you I will surely tear the kingdom from you and give it to your servant you know Solomon was able to know right from wrong wasn't he Remember the story of the two women who came with the dead baby and the live baby, and we we think about the wisdom that he used. But his wisdom, the understanding heart that he had, was understanding only when he listened to God. But when he stopped listening to God and turned to those idols, that his wives that he had married in defiance of God... When he began to follow them, you know what he did? He stopped listening to God and chose to stop doing what is right and start doing what is wrong. That was his practice, that he was turning away from God. We have to make choices every day. How do we make those choices? What are some helpful questions in helping us make our choices? I'd start with this. What does the Bible say about it? If we don't start there, we start somewhere else, and we've started in the wrong place. What does the Word of God have to say with the choice that I'm about to make? Is is there anything in there that would reflect one way or the other on what I am going to do? And, And not only that, but where does it lead? Where does this thing that I'm about to make a choice on, where will it lead me? Will it lead to a life of regret, to a life of shame, to a life of hurt? Or will it lead to a life that, again, glorifies God? In Proverbs 14, at verse number 12, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. We need to make a choice, but we need to make it based on what the Word of God says, and we also need to make it based on where it will lead us. But number three, here's the third question, what what does the world think about it? And you say, well, why in the world would I be interested in what the world says about it? Well, because God tells us to. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 4, the Bible says, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. They, they look at you and they say he's living as, as a Christian and, and they may not think highly of you, but if the world all thinks highly of us because we're doing the same things that they're doing and doing them the way that they would do them, we may need to make a different choice in our life. It's very possible that we, we really need to do that. You know, not only that, but as we think about it, We need to ask the question, can it become my master? Paul said, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Can it become my master? And then finally this morning, does it glorify God? We're back to where we were in the purpose of life. Five things there, that questions that we can ask ourselves when making choices. But then, last of all, we need to understand that not only is life a gift and life a series of choices, but life is a time of preparation. A time of preparation. In Amos chapter 4, verse 12, God wrote to his people and says, Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13, we have the story of the ten virgins. Five wise, five foolish, five uh, purchased enough oil to wait on the bridegroom, and five didn't. We remember that story. But as we look at it, we can simply break it down in this way. The five that we call the wise virgins, they were prepared. And the five that we call the foolish virgins, virgins, they didn't prepare. Life is a time of preparation. You know, life has been described or compared to a dressing room. A dressing room for eternity. Getting ready for eternity. And that's exactly the way the Bible sort of puts it for us. Follow along with me with these passages. Look at Romans chapter 13 at verse 14. There Paul writes and says, But put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make no preparation, provision rather for the flesh to gratify its desires. Romans chapter 13 verse 14. Put on the Lord Jesus. You know, that's, that's comparing us to putting on a wardrobe, putting on a jacket, putting on uh, you know, our, our clothing. We're to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. But how do we do that? Well, Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, that same apostle says it this way, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. You see, we have a preparation, a dressing room, preparing us for eternity. And then once we've put on Christ, watch this. In the book of Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10, Paul writes and says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Again, the the imagery of putting on clothing. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Paul writes and says, Put on, again, that same imagery, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And so as we we look at that, life is a time of preparation. It's a dressing room of sorts. You know, I read a story about a young man who in the spring of 1981 chose to be flown out into the desolate northern Alaskan areas to do some photography of the natural beauty and the tundra and all of the things that were there. And I want you to listen what he took. He took 500 This was before the days of the little phone and, you know, the digital thing. He took 500 rolls of film. And he took several firearms with him. And he took 1,400 pounds of provisions to go into the, uh, to be flown into the uh, desolate northern part of Alaska. And as the months passed, the words in his diary. They began to talk about how the beauty and the fascinated how he was fascinated with the, uh, with the 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 land and everything but they began to change. They changed from that fascination. And finally in August he wrote, I think I should have used more foresight about arranging my departure. I'll soon find out. In November he died in a valley, nameless valley. 225 miles northeast of Fairbanks, an investigation revealed that though he had carefully planned his trip, taking all of these provisions with him, even though he had meticulously planned it, he had made no provision to be flown out. How do you forget that part out of it? It's, it's almost unimaginable that somebody could meticulously plan a trip but fail to realize, I've got to get home. Even with all of these provisions, I can't stay here forever. He forgot to get somebody to come get him. Wow! How foolish could he be? It's difficult to imagine how anyone could be that foolish But you know what? There are people who are making the same mistake every single day. We make preparation for this life, but not for the one to come. We totally forget about that part. And so this morning, we're back to our original question and its answer. What is your life? For you, your life is like a mist or a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away in view of life's brevity are you appropriately recognizing god for the gift of life that he has given you are you this morning are you making good right moral choices that we have to make every day are you yourself making preparation to meet your God? You know, that's one of the things that, that James, the points that James is trying to get across to us. That, that we are not going to be here forever and we can't depend completely on ourselves. We must depend on God. I want you to notice this morning as we bring it completely to a close. I want you to notice how James ends the discussion that he raises when he asks the question what is your life. You see the end of that is James chapter 14 or chapter 4 verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him it is sin. We know the right thing. The right thing is to choose God over ourselves and over the things that we can do. And if we fail to do what is right in choosing God, and we're like the arrogant rich folks who, business people who had gone to make a, uh, uh, a profit, we've missed the point of life so, again, I ask you, are you appropriately recognizing God for the gift He has given you, that gift of life? Are you making good, right, moral, godly choices? Are you making preparation for the Lord to come? Do you need to do the right thing, even this morning? Putting your Lord on in baptism, or maybe this morning, coming back to the Lord? Let us pray with you and for you. If we can assist you in any way this morning, we'd love to do that right now.